as people of God's word, which we are. Let's take and open God's word this morning. Let's turn again to our ongoing exposition of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, and we find ourselves in chapter 8 of Hebrews. Follow along as I read verse 6. Verse 6, Hebrews chapter 8. But now, he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Pray with me this morning, will you? Lord God, we entreat you to help us have understanding of your word. And as we understand your word, Lord, may we understand you. May we know you. Not just intellectually, Lord, we pray to know you covenantally through your promise, through your person, through your ultimate promise, Jesus Christ. We beg you, Lord, to help from pulpit to pew this church to mature and grow strong. Lord, we would not be children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that we would be grown up, mature, teachers of your word. Please help in this, I pray, O Lord. And we do together as we hold our hearts before you, we pray, take our hearts, write your word upon it as only you can do. Bless this effort this morning, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been looking at the main point. Seven full chapters the writer of Hebrews has written the words of the Lord Jesus and for a number more, going through chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, he will continue to write, and here is the main point. We have such a high priest. We possess a high priest who mediates a better covenant that was established or built upon better promises than heretofore. This morning, it may sound a little different what comes from the pulpit, for I'm taking you, I'm taking you through a biblical overview. We're departing just slightly from what I normally do, which is centering on the details of a very few verses, and hope along the way to give you the big picture, but is incumbent upon me because of what we see in the text, i.e. this word, mediator. Mediator of a better covenant. It's necessary then for me to back away from the, if you will, view of the Bible that we could call the Nat's eye view, the, the view we would look under a microscope to see the details. And now we're going to get a telescopic view, the wide-angle view of the entirety of Scripture as relates to a mediator. 
and with specificity to the mediatorial rule of the sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth. God is sovereign, we often say, meaning that he is the ultimate authority. God is sovereign because he is the ultimate power. God is sovereign because he is the ultimate by way of knowledge. And God is sovereign because he is God. He is God. But God has chosen throughout time to use mediators. Mediators. And so to understand the significance of when we find these words that Jesus has have obtained a, a more excellent ministry than all the priests who have come before, and in particular the priests of Israel, the high priests of the line of Aaron, of the Levitical tribe, he has a more excellent ministry than they had, which should cause us to lay that aside because it has appropriately gone the way of all things. It fulfilled God's purpose for a temporary period of time, and that is now past. And now the focus is to be upon the great high priest Jesus who will mediate a better covenant than the covenant which the Levites mediated, that being the Mosaic covenant or the law of Moses as it's also called. So better than the law of Moses, better than the high priest is this better Jesus who is mediator of a better covenant that is established on better promises so now we go into the classroom of the theologian to take an overview of the Bible with regards to the mediatorial rule of God that is presented in Scripture. God is forever reigning. Because he is God, he is sovereign, but he also stands therefore as the highest king. In his position... He is ruler of all. Exodus 15, 18 declares, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. And he reigns forever and ever because he has always reigned and he always will reign. It is interesting in Exodus 15, verse 18, where this is said, it is the very last line of a song. A song that was written by Moses, that was proclaimed by Moses after God's sovereign divine deliverance of Israel across the Red Sea, when God parted the Red Sea for the Israelites, the Egyptians are pursuing, and God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites cross through what the Hebrew calls dry shod. He didn't just move the water aside and they mucked it on through. He moved it aside and gave them dry ground according to the scripture. And they came through and then Moses wrote this song, which I cannot get into lest I be distracted, but it ends with this declaration, Lord, the Lord shall reign forever and ever, even the water obeys his command. Even drying up the seabed obeys his authority. 
He reigns forever. In Daniel, where we've been studying in our Sunday school classes, we read in the fourth chapter in the 17th verse. This verse 17 is given after an angelic decree was given that the punishment was coming to King Nebuchadnezzar because of his arrogance and his pride, where he set himself up to be the one who he declared had done all these great things. And God reminds him that King Nebuchadnezzar is not king, but that God is king. And then this decree comes out, the decision, verse 17 of Daniel chapter 4, the decision is by the decree of the watchers. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know. What is it that the living need to know? Everyone who lives needs to know this. That the Most High. Listen to me now. That the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Who's in charge here anyway? What's happening here on earth? Is God out of control? Does he fail to have charge anymore? Is this a runaway in the world of evil men? And that God is looking back, wringing his hands and hoping that it all will work out at the end? Or is God in control? As King Nebuchadnezzar found out that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And here's what I want you to center on and pay attention to. Gives it. To whomever he will. God is sovereign and he reigns. And God gives power and authority to whomever he wills. That is the mediatorial rule of God on earth. He gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. So a mediator is our study, and in particular, how does this relate to Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who will now mediate a better covenant that is a better promise from God, that is built on better promises, better covenant plan. The mediator, notice in your notes, I have a definition placed for you there, a mediator is one who acts as an intermediary. If that word doesn't quite fit you, how about this? An intercessor who acts as an intercessor between two parties. In more common terms, a go-between, one who goes between God and men. With some specificity as an intercessor to restore peaceful relations, but it's more than that. It is one who represents God to the people and the people to God. So a mediator is one who represents God. He works on behalf of what God wants done and what God has to say. He says it, but he also works on behalf of men in helping them understand and follow God and be one with him. So now as we are looking this morning, more by way of classroom perhaps this morning than preaching that you are used to, but I'll do best to interweave the two. I might just yell time to time just to make sure you're still used to me. So we're looking then secondly at the mediatorial rule of God. A mediator of 
the rule of God. So God is sovereign. God can give it to whomever he wills. And that God has established mediators throughout the period of time in history. We call this the mediatorial kingdom. The mediatorial kingdom may be defined. So if God is king and God is the sovereign ruler, then he has a kingdom. The mediatorial kingdom may be defined as A, the rule of God through divinely chosen, a divinely chosen representative. One who not only speaks and acts for God, but also represents the people before God. So this is a divinely chosen man to represent both God and men. I'm leaning heavily this morning on a great and signal work of a man by the name of Alva J. McLean. And Alva J. McLean wrote, by the way, anything that Alva J. McLean wrote, you should read if you are indeed a student of the word and want to grow in depth. He wrote a book called The Greatness of the Kingdom. And The Greatness of the Kingdom is a fabulous work, and it changes how you look at God and the entire scope of history in the Bible and helps you understand God's plans and purposes. So, in that book, we find displayed what is presented in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is only put there in order so that we can study it all at the same time on the topic of the mediatorial rule of God. God's kingdom mediated through man. And I say man because the scripture always presents this as a rule. And this rule over the earth is is then by a mediatorial ruler who in every single case is always a human being, a man. So though God is God and man is not, God has chosen to give his mediatorial rule and reign to whom he wills to represent him. Now one of the keys to understanding this whole of the Bible is the fact that that this has to be a man. God mediated through a man, but the administration of this rule comes, and the administration means the rules thereof, the way in which you will obey God, even as this man represents it, is through covenant. Now, covenant is synonymous with promise, but it's more than that. It's God's promises but also God's requirements because of God's promises and God's ways of coming to him and relating to him over various periods of time. And we're going to lay that out this morning, hopefully in a Reader's Digest fashion, meaning a condensed fashion. So we're going to be traversing our Bibles from the very beginning of Genesis, and we're going to be going all the way to the end, and we're going to be looking at how God, through the entire Bible, has dictated his will and his purposes through mediators and through his covenants with these mediators or with his people. Okay, you ready? Pull out your little side desks. We're now in the lecture hall. Remember, no sleeping in class. Keep your pencil sharp. We're going to look at the very first mediator in the Bible. The very first mediator in the Bible is Adam. Adam 
the first mediator of God's sovereign rule. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates light. He creates darkness. He creates the oceans. He creates trees. He creates all the flora. And he also creates all the fauna. And when he's done with that, he creates man. Adam. Which means man. So if you name your son Adam, you haven't been too creative. You've named him man. Adam was made. And then from Adam came Eve, from out of him. And then in Genesis 1.26, we learn, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, pay attention right here. The mediatorial rule of God is handed to Adam. Let them have, what? Dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Let them have dominion over all the earth. So from the very beginning of God's creation plan, God determined that he was going to set a human being in a position of authority, carrying his authority to do God's work according to his covenant purposes. So he puts him in the garden, and what does he say to the man? He says, keep and fit the garden. He gives him one prohibition of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, lest you die. And then he has his wife, who is his helpmeet, his helper in the sovereign rule and reign over the kingdom of earth. So you can say that Adam was indeed the king of the entire earth. Who is Adam? The first king. He's the first one carrying the sovereign authority of God to do what God wanted done on the earth. And one of the things that God did, and this is off the clock because I didn't really have it in my notes, but I'm bringing it to you anyway because you know it. God told him a few things he had to do, and one of them was be what? Fruitful and multiply. How do I always get family into these sermons somehow? I just happen to do it because there it is. That's one of the things he is supposed to do in mediating the sovereign rule of God is to take man who has been made in the image of God and get more men to do the work. You notice he put him in the garden, but that wasn't the whole earth. Once they got kicked out, they had the whole earth to do. Now, granted, they're having trouble after the fall of man, but they're supposed to keep and fit the garden, take care of everything, and fill the earth and multiply. By the way, that is a covenant. That is a covenant that man is to articulate throughout time. It is the type of a covenant called a grant covenant, meaning God says, here's what you better do, and do it now. Here's my authority. So in our age, we have to remind everyone, God's still in charge. We're still men and women. Have babies. And some of you might be a little upset by that or all the different things that can get out of the way of that. But what I'm saying is you have to value that if God values that to be under the sovereign rule of God. 
One of the evidences of sin in man is that man wants out from under the sovereign rule of God, even established in the book of Genesis, and want to rebel against it. So when Adam fell, everything's going swimmingly for just, well, two chapters in the Bible. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and then sin. Deception of Eve, the fall of Adam into sin, and instead of keeping and fitting the garden, they went and hid in the bushes from God. Who Adam was placed on earth to represent? The rest of the Bible is a restoration of the sovereign rule of God that was undermined by the sin of man, but must be restored to a man. To a man. To a man who hasn't fallen. Therefore, we're studying Hebrews. He is a mediator. He is a mediator of a better covenant which is built on better promises. The Bible from front to back articulates how God is restoring his sovereign mediatorial rule on earth through men gradually unto Christ. So in studying Hebrews with a great high priest and king, we then remind ourselves what we've already studied in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Now let's look at this again. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subject to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, this is from the Psalms, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? This is not about Jesus. This is about man, Adam and his offspring. What is man that you are mindful of him? You've made him lower than the angels. But listen to this. What is the son of man that you take care of him? Verse 7. You have made him a little lower than the angels, and yet you have crowned him with glory and honor. Listen, and set him, who? Man, over the works of your hands. Who's over the works of his hands? Man. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. The dominion of man is still a desire of God. Though it has been undermined by the sin of man, and it is incompletely and inappropriately at times administered, nevertheless, this is the will of God. And Adam is considered not only the first man, but he's also considered in the scriptures theologically as the head of all mankind. The headship of Adam over all mankind. Therefore, in Romans 5, this is written. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, 
and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So Adam is the head of all mankind. He is the mediator of God's sovereign rule on earth. He fell into sin and things went sideways. But God is not thwarted in his plan. And he began to remind them, even in Genesis 3.15, I can't go there, you can go there, that there was a coming one who was going to set things right even over Satan. And I wanted to put Noah in here because Noah is one of the mediatorial rulers who also had a Noahic covenant. And I can't go there this morning either. Spent a lot of time yesterday cutting things out of my sermon because I had eight and a half pages. Wasn't going to happen. So you are now thankfully, right, thankful that I've cut it down. And we go on to another mediator, Abraham who began as Abram, God renamed him Abraham, and to Abraham a covenant was made, a covenant that also has with it a mediatorial rule on earth. In Genesis chapter 12, we have the first articulation of this covenant with Abraham, of which there are four to five more, depending on how you count them, reiterations of this very covenant. So God meant it, he meant it a lot, because he reiterated it a number of times and then reminded all of his sons of the same promise. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. So here's an obligation. Adam, keep and fit the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Etc. Abraham, first charge, leave. Leave her of the Chaldees to a land I will show you. Verse 2 of Genesis 12, I will, God says, I will make you a great nation. This is the first part of covenant promise. Leave your land. Now here's what I'm going to do. I will make you a great nation. Not a great family. I'm going to make you into a, a nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So secondly, he's going to give him a great name. Make him into a big nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. The blessings that go with this. And you shall be a blessing. Not only will I bless you with my divine favor, you will be a blessing. And notice this blessing. I will bless those who bless you. But there's a second side to this coin. If it falls on heads and you bless, I'll bless those who bless you. And secondly, I will curse him who curses you. But here's where even the entirety of all the peoples of the earth come into this covenant. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Somehow, some way, from the blessings of God and God passing on to Abraham, this charge and this mediatorial responsibility, the entirety of the world has opportunity for blessing. This covenant is repeated in Genesis chapter 15, where you will find that God makes the covenant not with a responsibility for Abraham to keep, but God grants him 
the specificity. And when he takes the covenant, God passes through the covenant boundaries that are marked out by the slain animals that they have split in two. And that's an old way of making covenant, but he does not require Abraham to go through the bodies. Only God does. Meaning that this is an indelible promise that God depends on not of man keeping, but of God himself keeping. And you'll notice when he reiterates it again, when we skip in our notes now to Genesis 17, how God has taken the responsibility of these promises on himself. Verse 4, Genesis 17. As for me, behold, God says, my covenant is with you, speaking to Abraham, or Abram, as I, I should say. My covenant is with you, and listen, you shall be a father of many nations, not just one nation now, but of many nations. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall, your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you, listen now, a father of many nations. So any of you who learned in your Sunday school, Father Abraham has many sons with the actions and all those things. You say, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. This is why we call him Father Abraham. Because God promised him before he had ever had a son, that not only would he be a great nation, but he would be the father of many nations, plural. Verse 6, he goes on. Notice this, I will. I have made, now I will, verse 6, make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And now pay attention here, the sovereignty of God and kings shall come from you. We're talking about the sovereign, kingly rule of God over everything, and he mediating that kingdom rule through men. And kings will come from you, whom I will give the power to be kings and to rule and to reign. You see, to be a king, there's something necessary. One, to be a king, you have to have the authority, the authority to rule. You also, with that authority, have to have the power to carry out that authority. But then you need more than that. You can't just be a king. Here I am, I'm a king. You know, if you live in an apartment all by yourself, you say, I'm the king of my domain. Well, you're a little bit short because you at least need somebody to be, well, under you. You need someone to rule. So if you're going to be a ruler, then a ruler needs a reign, and the reign is over a people. But then even more so, you need a realm. Where will you rule? What is your realm? What is your place? So this is about Abraham being handed a mediatorial type of rule of God's power through God's blessing covenant promises. Verse 7 of Genesis 17. Listen, another, I will. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, God says, between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations, now zero in here, for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and your descendants after you. He says, I'm God. I'm your God. I'm giving you these blessings. And the biggest blessing of all was right there. I'll be your God. Since the fall from the garden, men have been making idols to try and replace God in their rebellion, trying to steal from God his sovereign rule and the worship he is due, and to give it to someone else, as Isaiah laughs, a piece of wood that he carves out of a tree, warms himself with half of the tree, carves the other half into an idol, and bows down to it and says, feed me and take care of me. There is no sovereignty in that piece of wood. Though man would try and place it on that idol, it is dead. This is the living God saying, I will be God to you and your descendants after you. And did you notice the forever? So this is a promise that God made to Abraham. And let me tell you something that Pastor Howe, my mentor, once told me about this. If you think God's done with Israel, if you think the church has replaced Israel, you have to deal with this the way Pastor Howe said Pastor Howe told me, he says, I don't think God lied to Abraham. God would not lie to Abraham. So if God said this is forever to his descendants, then it is forever to his descendants. There is no conditionality to this covenant. So this covenant's going to go on and on and on. By the way, He's making him a great nation. But let me take you on here just a little bit. Verse 8. Also I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. So Abraham's a nomad across the land of Canaan. Now we know it as Palestine. Better stated Israel. I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, listen, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Why does the, the whole earth focus on the land of Israel? Because the sovereign rule of God will be mediated from that place. The king has a realm, a land. And a place everlasting. If it's not everlasting, then God lied to Abraham. God did not lie to Abraham. Abraham mediates this covenant, and from him comes Isaac and Jacob, who has 12 sons, who are then the tribes of Israel, who become a great nation in the land of Egypt. You see how fast I've gotten through the Pentateuch? And then Moses is raised up in Egypt. And God raises up a mediatorial leader, a ruler. Exodus 3. Moses, leader of Israel, tribe of Levi, also a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, if you want reference. Exodus 3, God making covenant with Moses. 
Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God's promise has been being kept. He has made Israel a mighty nation as he told Abram. And now this mighty nation has been enslaved, but they are mighty in number. That's why the Egyptians put them into slavery. They were afraid of their numbers. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of, the land, out of Egypt? Now, here we have it. So he said, so God said to Moses, I will certainly be with you. There's a covenant promise. Can I just salt, season ahead of time, someone else who said something like that? When he was about to go away, after the resurrection, he said, what? Did he say something like this? Did he say something like what we are just reading? I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christian, what covenants are you believing? That's all I can say now. I've got to go on back to the boring study. Some of you need to wake up. Okay, there you are. Thank you. Uh, it's a joke, but it works every time. Verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this is, shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So what's your sign? Success. When you've done what I've told you to do, you will know I sent you to do it. Christian, there's a lot in that. If you just do what God sent you to do, when you've done it, you'll know he helped you. That's called faith. Not faith in something blind, faith in a covenant promise. You see, the mediation of God's rule is through his covenant promises that are behind the rule and the ruler. Moses got it done. Exodus 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you, listen, here's sovereignty, as God to Pharaoh. See what I have done? You came back, it was looking bad. Now I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So when you go, here's the way it's going to be. And you shall, listen to, listen to God's plan. And you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. Now notice what God also said, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Did you know that? It wasn't Pharaoh just not getting the message. It was God preventing Pharaoh from getting the message of the miracles, of the plagues. Why? So that Pharaoh would learn, and all of Egypt would learn, that the mightiest nation in the world is ruled by God. He is sovereign. Pharaoh is not. Every president should take notice of this. Every king should take notice of this. I pray they will. So, 
I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, but Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians, listen, just what I said, shall know that I am the Lord. They shall know that I am master, I am sovereign. See the sovereignty running through, running through, running through, through the mediatorial work of Moses, throwing down the staff, turning it into a serpent, touching the waters and turning them into blood and all the plagues and plagues. And then the final plague of the deaths of all the firstborn of Israel, both of man and beast. Then they knew God is sovereign and he's working through his mediator, Moses for the people of promise. Exodus 19, 3, verse 3. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you out, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the kingdom of Israel, and a new covenant was given at this time. But this is a conditional covenant. Unlike the covenant that God made with Abraham that God said, I will make all this a reality and you don't have any responsibility in bringing it about. In this, the blessings are conditioned. So what we call the law, the Mosaic covenant, that we are now highlighting in Hebrews as being a covenant that is passing away, being annulled, because a better covenant is coming, the reason a better covenant is coming is because the better covenant is non-conditional. It's a great thing to find out if God's going to bless you unless you sin. And then he'll curse you. He said, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Did you get that? All the earth is mine. It's a sovereign declaration. And so Moses gets the law. By the way, where did he get the law? Up on the mountain. How is he to know that God was going to keep his promise? He says, when you worship me on the mountain, after you've come out of Egypt, la, done. The law is given. God gave a law that Israel couldn't keep. Let me say that again. God gave a law that Israel couldn't keep. The Mosaic law was impossible. I don't have a lot of time to go into it. But let me remind you what even the New Testament says under Paul, that the law was given to expose sin. Your knowledge of sin would come through the law. How would you even know 
Sabbath was a thing without the law. You could be going blithely about your little life, doing things on Saturday. By the way, that was the, that was the Sabbath. And you wouldn't know you were breaking the Sabbath until in the Ten Commandments, God says, keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Don't do any normal work on the Sabbath. As soon as you found that out, you'd be in trouble on Saturday. And you'd know it. By the way, which covenant Israel broke, it will say in Hebrews. I want to point this out, and you need to pay great attention. The Mosaic Law, which is a covenant of God, it is conditioned upon the obedience of the people to be blessed, was only an, an administration of the promise covenant to Abraham. Okay? It is not the promise to Abraham. It is the law. It doesn't replace the promise to Abraham. It was the law. It is not the promise. It is not the promise God made to Abraham. It only administered the blessings if they kept the law. That's the second thing you need to know about the law. The law of Moses was external. You will not read in the law of Moses how the attitude of your heart is supposed to be when carrying out the multitude of requirements for the law. He doesn't tell you how you're supposed to plow your field in the frame of your heart. It doesn't tell you how you're supposed to be in your heart when you bring your offering for sin. It's external. Hang on to that because Hebrews is going to confirm it. I just can't do it now, especially since I just looked at the clock and terror has struck me. The Mosaic Law was designed to be temporary. The Abrahamic Covenant was designed to be permanent. Let me say that again. The Mosaic Law was designed to be temporary for a certain period of time, and that time is over. The Law of Abraham if you will, the covenant of Abraham to Abraham goes on and on forever. Forever. I have to move on. Under the Mosaic law, God raised up judges to mediate his rule on earth. The judges, and there were a multitude of them. And we know the story of Israel at the time. The, the story of the book of Judges is uh, brought to us in this way with this theme. And at that time, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So when every man was doing what was right in his own eyes, not living toward the law, they fell into sin. And then God would send the Moabites, the Ammonites, you name the ites, the ites came at them, and they got into trouble, and they got abused, and then God raised up a judge to mediate the law and to be his authority. 
Judges chapter 2, verse 16, notice, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And then moving on to Judges, uh, judges 18. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. Listen, the Lord was with the judge, empowered the judge, and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. One more from Judges, just to emphasize the feature of this rule by God. In Judges 6.34, we read, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and Abizites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Now, how is this sovereign rule? He says, come, and they come. See how fascinating that is? Deep, huh? But it is as simple as that. If you have no authority, when you call, you know what happens? No one comes. Let me tell you something, parents. I didn't think this was going to be about parenting, but let, just let me tell you. If you are not exercising your, your authority appropriately, if you say to your child, come, and they do not come, that is called rebellion against the authority God gave you as a parent. Stop letting it happen and make sure they come. I can't give you any more than that, but I can give you a lot of tips later. But God has given you that authority. Don't rebel against your own authority. Or teach them so, or they will rebel against the authority of God themselves later. When a child rebels against their parents, they are rebelling not against their parents. They are rebelling against God. When the people of a country rebel against the leader God put over them, they're not rebelling against that leader. They're really re rebelling against who? God. Thank you very much. That's a free family one, so I still got uh, three more minutes. Priests. Yeah, this is a big class. Aren't you glad I didn't bring all of it? I am too. Also judges, but then priests were also mediators of the law of Moses. Exodus 28, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. Why did he have that breastplate? Why were there all those storms with the names of the tribes? He was, the medi he was acting as the mediator, as the high priest, representing the entire people to God. Remember, the mediator doesn't just have the authority over, over the people. He also brings the people before God. So he brings their names before God so that God will remember. Not that God forgets, but he's supposed to remember who he's representing which thing often happened, they forgot that they were representing the people to God. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually, and you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, listen, isn't it interesting it's the breastplate of judgment? Who has, who has the authority to judge? Uh, hard one, pastor. Uh, judges? Right. The authority from God to judge according to the law, he mediates the law to the people. 
and then represents the people before God according to the law. He's to place on the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. What is that, Pastor? We don't know. But it was something that they could ask questions to and get answers from. And we have lost it in history. Probably rightly so, or someone would be bowing down to it even now. So I move on to that, to Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi. And then at the end, and if you look down at verse 11, that all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, listen, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So the covenant is mediated through the words, and the words are proclaimed by the priests, and the people are then to obey. That's the exercise of authority through a mediatorial ruler who stands in the place of God before the people. Now we're getting into it. Kings. During the time of the judges, during the times of the priests and the prophets, Israel decided they wanted a king. 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Make us a king to have authority over us. Then in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, we read, And the Lord said to Samuel, Now pay close attention here. Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they, listen, have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not, listen, reign over them. How is he reigning over them? Through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Moses, through the law. And they were rebelling against that leadership of God, that reign of God, just like in the Garden of Eden. But unlike the nations, God sovereignly appointed kings of his choosing. People are going to get to choose this king. God chose this king to rule over Israel and to mediate his rule. Now I'm going to center on one king. He's the most important king. I'm getting close to landing this plane. So you, you can hang on. Don't, don't put your tray tables up. We haven't really approached for landing. I'm just saying it's going to happen sometime soon. I want to point out to you this King David whom God chose. First he chose Saul who failed and he removed from him the anointing. And then he chose the son of Jesse, David. But then David receives from God a covenant. This is called the Davidic covenant. The covenant of to the kings, the covenant to the kings of David's line. Listen, 2 Samuel 7, 11. Since the time I commanded judges to be over my people, over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you, you David, that he will make you, David, a house. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, here's God promising, notice, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up 
your seed after you who will come from your body. From your direct line, genetically, from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be to me my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. My mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. This is permanent. Was before you. And your house, listen, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Abraham, nation, forever. Abraham, blessing, forever. David, forever, forever established. Pointing to and prophetic of the coming king. Israel looked for the king. A king to rule them. A good king. After one, after another, a poor kings, after the dividing of the nation into factions, the final mediator. This is where I wrap you back to Adam. Adam, the first mediator. First Corinthians, Jesus is identified as an Adam. First Corinthians 15, 21, for since... By man came death. What man? Adam. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. What happens at the end, Pastor? Well, listen. When he delivers the kingdom, when he, this King Jesus, delivers the kingdom, where? To God the Father. The sovereign ruler over all of creation is God. And Jesus is going to re restore the mediatorial rule through himself and the total sovereignty of God over all things by giving it back to God. Did you realize Jesus was going to be king to give it all away? It's in the Bible. Full circle back to Christ's and God's universal reign over everything. In 1 Corinthians 15, the identification of Jesus as an Adam is given to us in verse 45. And that's why I put it in here. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Remember I told you the mediator must be a man. A human. Therefore, when we study Jesus, we are studying the mediatorial rule of God on earth through him. What did the wise men say? What did the wise men say to King Herod when they showed up in Jerusalem? 
They said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Where is the sovereign one? Where is the ruler? Where is the one who manipulates the very power of God on earth over God's own people? We saw his star. Why are we studying the kingship and high priestly ministry of Jesus in Hebrews? Because he mediates a better covenant that was established on better promises. Hebrews 1, 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Hebrews 1, 8, But to the son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Hebrews 1, 13, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your Footstool, And why does it say in the very chapter that we are studying, now this is the main point of the things which we are saying, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. We have such a high priest. Sometimes from familiarity we're missing something. And the familiarity, which I'm afraid even that is evaporating, comes to us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven sovereignly authoritatively permanently and we end for thine is the thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. The mediatorial rule of God is established. It lives on. It is functional even now. But not on this Sunday will I teach of it. We will pray. Stand with me. Let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Bow with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.